0: Who defines the worldview that allows you to see the world that you live in? If your worldview is defined by any other place in the Bible, God's word says that you are walking in accordance with sin. As we talk a little bit today with Ken Ham about why we should allow God to be God, Ken's going to make a very strong biblical case for where the Christian worldview comes from. It comes from the Bible. In the Bible, we learn that God defines gender. God defines marriage. God deals with issues of race and gender and all manner of things in the word of God. And this is where we get our worldview. And today I am really honored and blessed to have my friend Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis, back on the show. If you haven't heard part one, stop this show, go back and listen to part one, and then you're going to pick up part two halfway through that conversation. This is going to be a fantastic interview. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged.
1: And then Job, and then God in, in Job thirty eight, thirty nine, forty, forty one, 39, 40, 41, as he goes through all those the, 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 those verses there, what do we read? And, and God particularly mentions creation over and over. Do you know Were this? You do you know that? Do you know how to do this? Do you know how to bind these together? Do you know why this happens? Do you know how that happens? Do you know this? And do you know Job got it? And this is what, what's got to happen to every one of us. We have got to get it. Job got it. At the end, he said, I repent in dust and ashes. You know all things. He started to recognize, wait a minute, who am I? Who am I thinking that I'm God, that I know everything, that, that, that I have a right to have answers to all these things? No, no, no. You are God. You know all things. How dare I question God? How dare I question you? We've got to let God be God. And you know even for those uh you know those Christian apologists and so on going around there saying you can believe in millions of years and all the rest of it, you know what they're really doing? They're really, really saying, "I know best, you don't have to believe Genesis. I'm putting my trust in man, no, 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 they need to let God be God and say." you know what? It says six days. I'm going to believe six days. It says death came after sin. I'm going to believe what God says. It says there was a global flood. They're puffed up with their own arrogance. And the scripture warns us about that. You know, knowledge puffs up. We've got to recognize it's only God who knows everything. Stop putting our trust in scientists. You know, they're they, trust the science. It's, it's,
0: That's working out oh, real well for us.
1: So how much does how much does, does a scientist know compared to what God knows? Nothing. God is infinite mm. in knowledge and wisdom. Don't put your trust in man. That's what God says in the book of Isaiah over and over again. Stop trusting in man. Put your trust in God. That's where we've got to get to. And even in our grieving situations with death and suffering and disease and so on, as hard as it is. And 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 we do suffer and we do grieve and, and we do cry out to God and we do ask why. And that's fine. And that's one of the uniquenesses of this book because I say that is fine. It is fine for us to say that. We're finite human beings. God but, can handle yeah, it. We're fine out human beings. We can ask those questions. And, you know, in a way, um, I still struggle with asking about, you know, my brother, Robert, and saying, but yet I stand back and say, but, but God has purposes beyond what I could ever imagine. Maybe even writing this book, maybe that's one of the purposes. And, and you know, just like Joseph could look back and see uh, what God meant uh, for, for good, uh, what God did for good because of what men meant for evil, or look at Queen Esther. And you could, I wonder how many people uh, would have said, look at that poor young girl, Esther, her parents, maybe they were killed, by enemies maybe they died when she she was from diseases when she was young we don't know but she didn't have her parents oh isn't that terrible why would god let that happen to her and yet god used her circumstances to save the the the, the israelites wow who knows what God yeah. is doing in our lives? Let let's let God be God.
0: Wow, I mean, that's going to be that's. I think that's going to be the title for the podcast today because we've got a lot of people trying to be God. We absolutely see this in the transgender movement, which is an absolute rebellion against God. This is an attack against the Creator, right? Who well, said, "I made them male and female."
1: Oh, yeah. Abs- you yeah. You, you think of what's happening today. What's happening today is that people are wanting to redefine the boundaries that our Creator has made for everything. They want to redefine those boundaries in regard to sex, you know, in regard to gender and in regard to everything, because they want to be God. And, you know, identity, the word identity, as you know, has changed meaning. And the word identity is all about focusing upon self. I'm my own God. I'm going to define my own boundaries. I'm going to define things for myself. That's what it's all about. Because we have abandoned God as creator, and God is the one who defined marriage. God's the one who defined gender. God, ta- God is the one who decides when, when we live and when we die. We don't, we don't define that or decide that. You know, euthanasia is another one of those issues, and yes, so it goes yes, on.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So are you saying—let me get this straight. I just want to be sure. Are you saying that the church should be speaking into these issues— The church should be at the top of these issues and not at the bottom with a net waiting for people to fall down and fall down the the rabbit hole or the waterfall or whatever and catch them at the bottom. Is it time? It's past time, I know, but for the church to begin to say... Why don't we care about what God says? I made them male and female in my image. These are issues in which the church should have a voice,
1: correct? The church should be teaching these things. The church should be teach. You know what? We need to be teaching people to stand on God's word. We need to be raising up people to be Daniels and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And, you know, how many of people in our churches today would be able to stand as Daniel stood or to be able to stand as she, Meshach uh, Uh, in a bendigo as they stood. How many people would be able to do that? But, you know, a a lot of our church leaders today, uh, they don't want to take that stand because they don't want to create division. We have to be creating division, the right sort of division. When you shine light in darkness, there's going to be division. In fact, I would go so far as to say as this, if you are not creating division as a Christian, the right sort of division for the right reasons, with gentleness, meekness, but with boldness, contending for the faith, If you're not doing that, then you have to ask yourself, what are you doing? And for a lot of pastors, unfortunately, they're worried about upsetting people in the church. And we don't want to come across as filled with hate speech or accused of being homophobic or misogynist or whatever it is. Listen, we need to stand on God's word and help people understand this is what God's word says. And we need to take that stand there. God defines marriage, God defines gender, God defines all these things. We are not the ones to be defining them. And and the trouble is, um, Heidi, you know, Genesis one to eleven has been so undermined in our churches, in our seminaries. Many pastors aren't game to teach on it. It's many true. many avoid it, even conservative pastors. There are some that tell me yep. it creates too much division. If you don't teach yep. Genesis one to eleven, you haven't got the foundation to deal with any issue. Because if you want to deal with any issue, you name it, whatever it is, you wanna deal with racism, you wanna deal with abortion, you wanna deal with transgender you want to deal with marriage, you want to deal with euthanasia, you want to deal with fossils, you want to deal with the age of the earth, you want to deal with any issue, you've got to start with the first 11 chapters of Genesis because that's a foundational history for the gospel, for all doctrine, yeah. our worldview, for everything.
0: Yeah, and it lets God be God then. And all of a sudden, we're not trying to make it up. We're just saying, this is what God said. We believe it. The Bible can stand on its own.
1: And, and you know, here's the thing. If people taught the right way, And if our leaders were teaching people in the church the right way, you would know how to talk to people in in a way that takes the emotionalism out of the argument. Mm, And and, in other words, when I talk to people, I say, look, I'm a Christian. I start from the Bible. That's where I build my thinking. And if they say to me, I don't believe the Bible, I say, that's fine. Um, I want to ask you questions as to why you don't believe the Bible. I'd like to know why that is. But because I start there... That's where my views of marriage come from. That's where my views of gender come from, because I build it on that foundation in Genesis. Now, if you don't start with the Bible, I get it. You're going to have a whole different worldview to me. I understand that. And, uh, and so the point is, unless you have the same foundation as me, you're not going to have the same worldview. And so a lot of times we argue up here at this worldview level, and it's a clash, and those... Who have the world, the secular worldview look at us and they say, um, but that's hate speech because they see that Mm. conflict, right? You've got to get the argument down to the foundation and say, why do you have the worldview you do? Let me explain where my worldview comes from. And, if they say well we don't we reject the Bible, okay, why do you reject the Bible? Tell me why what well, do you think science has disproved the Bible or something? How do you decide right and wrong how do you how do you determine what's good and what's bad? Where do you get that from you if you start dealing with the foundations, it takes a lot of the emotionalism out of it, and it helps you then explain a biblical worldview, the gospel everything
0: yeah, and I think the more people listen to uh to apologists like yourself who give them the answers for the hope that lies within them. And we begin again to put feet to our faith. I'm always asking women, if your faith found its voice, what would God have you say? Right. If your faith found its feet, where would God ask you to go? God asks us to live in a wicked generation to be lights for him. And we can't be a light for him. If we don't understand the word of God starting in Genesis, it's so important. I want to end today on kind of where we started you know, the last three years, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Uh, the last three years have been very difficult. You, you and I have lost friends to COVID. We've, we've watched uh, as the, the nation has been shuttered, our churches have been shuttered, people are living in fear. We're afraid of everything, kind of afraid of our own shadow. All you got to do is, you know, pick up your phone and the headlines are never any good, right? It's, it's terrible news from sunup to sundown. How can people live in peace? I think this is one of the, the questions that gets asked over and over again. You know, God commands Christians not to live in fear. Do not be afraid over and over and over again, that fear is a spirit. This is what Paul told to young Timothy. What do you say to a generation that is living in sort of the shadow of fear with sort of the what if monster around the corner? What if you get cancer? What if, what if, what if, what if? Where, how do you set someone's mind at ease so that they can accomplish the thing that God has created them uniquely to do? You guys know how concerned I am about the state of the United States, particularly as it relates to education. More than ever, high school students need a course that challenges them to think about whether the founding ideals of this country are worth preserving and then inspires them to act upon their conclusion. Michael Ferris is releasing a new 30-week American civics course that will guide you and your students to deeper understanding in three core subject areas, America's Founding Principles, the mechanics of government and lawmaking and the constitution that makes our system of government possible. If you pre-enroll by August 1st with the promo code HEIDI15, that's H-E-I-D-I-1-5, you will save 15%. We've got options for co-ops and single household options. It's fully online and it's self-paced. Content for the fall semester classes release August Third, and Unit 1 is available for free when you create an account at Lumen.com. That's Lumen, L-U-M-I-N-N.com. Don't forget to use the promo code HEIDI15, H-E-I-D-I-1-5 for 15% off by August 1st.
1: You know, one of the things we got in a sense, yeah, there's a lot of fear. And, I mean, the whole COVID thing was all based on fear as well. as a lot yeah, absolutely. of fear. Yeah, so it's always interesting that I notice the more liberal someone is, the more fearful they are. Uh, absolutely. The more they want to wear masks all the time. I, I don't want to get into all the political stuff, but you know what I mean. Uh, the more they want to shut down everything, the more – why? because mm-hmm. they're so fearful. And we're seeing it now with the climate change agenda. You know um, – my my uh, colleague from Australia, that's now working for Answers and Genesis, Martin Niles, has said, uh, you know, there's, uh, for instance, a, a child psychologist in Australia said they're having all these, all these children now coming in who, who because of what they're being taught in the schools and so are fearful of the end of the world and terrified. And they, yeah, yes. they're all they're all having psychological problems and they they all need counselling because the world's going to end and what are we going to do? Yes. And There's there's all this fear. It's because because they're looking at man, that man as God. In fact, when John Kerry came back from the World Economic Forum, one of the interesting things I heard him say, I said there's an he said there's an elite group of men who are gonna save man and save the planet. You see Isn't that interesting? That, it's that's what it's all about. It's a religion of man. He's <laughs> saying it out loud. It, it, yeah, it's a religion of man that we want to save ourselves, we're gonna save the planet, and that's why there's so much fear. If we keep going this way, hey, you know, look at uh, uh, Genesis 8.22, after the flood. What did God say? Um, th- he, he said this, While the earth remains, day and night, summer and winter, day and night, you know, um, uh, we shall not cease, because God's in total control. <laughs> and as, as uh, someone said, you know, If you think we're messing up the planet, you well, you see what Jesus does to it when he comes back, (laughs) right? (laughs) He's going to really mess it up. You see, the the, the only solution is the truth of God's word and the saving gospel. And when people stand back and look at God's word and understand the history in Genesis 1 to 11, what our sin has done, the flood of Noah's day, I mean, even in regard to climate change, things. People say to me, but don't you believe in climate change? Well, of course I do. The flood caused climate change. The flood generated an ice age. is called climate change. Um, yep. and, 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 well,
0: and the truth is that the earth has been experiencing this for thousands of right. years, right? That there are right. cycles of, uh, I think I was with Rob McCoy a couple of weekends ago in Southern California. And he said, you know, that we were also talking about climate change. He said, otherwise known as weather. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. you know, I think of a poem I learned when I went to school. Uh, in Australia because, you know, they talk in Australia about, well, there's droughts and we have floods. Yeah, they've always had droughts yes, and floods. You know, you know right. I learned that poem at school. I love a sunburned country, a land of sweeping plains, of, of rugged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. I mean, it's, it's been yeah. like that. And, and, but yeah. but the thing is it's it's this fear that's being created, and it's a yes. fear of man and a fear of overpopulation and a fear of you know, we're destroying the planet, it's because they're looking at it from a man-centered perspective, man being God, man thinking, we're doing all these things. Look, God is in total control. He's in control of everything. There's nothing that happens that he's not in control of. And he's given us promises that we're not going to destroy this earth, that this Greta Thornburg stuff, the earth's going to be destroyed in 12 years. What nonsense, you know? Yes. I mean, look back at Al Gore and all the prophecies he made. Well, he's a false yep, prophet, yep. but he's making them again, and people are believing him again. I don't, I don't get that. You know, it
0: turns out people who are afraid are easy to control. They, yep. and I think that's what a lot of this it's fear. is.
1: fear, yeah, fear to con- yeah. fear f- to control them. And you know, when we look at perspective, hey, we're living in a fallen world; it's not going to be perfect. And God gave us dominion over the creation, not the creation dominion over us. Romans mm-hmm. one. When they worship the creature rather than the creator, look what happens. And we see the consequences of it there in Romans 1. And that's what's happening today. People are worshiping the creation instead of the creator. The creator. Absolutely. I mean, we're even to the stage where we had Peter recently saying we shouldn't kill mosquitoes and harm mosquitoes. You know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> a- actual- well, and you could start eating bugs, too. I think I think that the uh, the people at the World Economic Forum want you to start eating bugs, yeah. And all of your all of your chicken should really just be soybeans mashed up and and uh, created to look like. chicken. Yeah, and
1: we can't we Ew. can't have too many cows because they're polluting the atmosphere and
0: right. And, yeah, but see,
1: even all of that is to do with the fact that people like Peter and others don't want you eating animals because we're all related to animals, you know. And man is just an animal. They've delegated man to being just an animal. When you go to the Cincinnati Zoo just across the river here. Uh, from the Creation Museum, when you visit the apes, they tell you you're visiting your family because you're just an animal, yeah. right? And, and you know the interesting yeah. thing, Heidi, do you realize that from an evolutionist perspective? See, when I took uh, Bill Nye through the ark in 2000, and, uh, and uh, when, when did we open the ark? Six, six years ago, 2017, uh, when I took Bill Nye through the ark, and one of the questions at one stage I said to him, Bill, are, are we related to bananas? Bananas, I guess, for America. Uh, are we related to bananas? Uh and uh Bill and I said uh yes. Of course we're related to bananas, because we're related to all life, right? So by the way, remember that the next time you eat a banana, you're eating one of your relatives. So so when you got these peop when you got these people <laughs> people talking about animals' rights and we shouldn't eat animals and so on, from an evolutionist perspective, be consistent. Then you shouldn't eat plants either, right? Mm-hmm. That was would- just
0: stop eating yeah, altogether. That would
1: solve the problem.
0: Yeah, it would. Actually, that would solve a lot of the problems that they keep creating. That's for sure. Ken, in the couple of minutes we got left here, tell everybody about the Ark Encounter. I mean, I talk about this all the time, but it's a special treat to have you on the show. And you're sitting there. I, I recognize the background behind you. You're at the Creation Museum, uh, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, and really does uh, sing the praises of the creator. Tell us a little bit about that, because I want all of my listeners to head over there.
1: Okay, so in northern Kentucky, right, uh, northern Kentucky, just across from Cincinnati, we have the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world. There is nothing else like them. They are the quality of Disney. No, they're not the quality of Disney. They're better than Disney. They're
0: better. They're and, better that, than Disney. That's, that's what I always tell everybody. It's better than and, Disney, uh, yeah. You know, yeah.
1: it's interesting. We have an increasing number of families saying, we're not going to Disney. We don't want to go to those woke places. That's right. And yep. you, you come to the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum, Uh, These places are absolutely astounding. People come from all over the world, thousands every day. There were thousands here today, Uh, thousands every day, coming from all over the world. And the Ark Encounter is a life-size Noah's Ark. It's the biggest timber frame, freestanding timber frame structure in the world. In the world. And one-half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field, standing 15 feet off the ground, 10 stories high at the bow, 3.3 million board feet of timber, 3 decks filled with 130 exhibits answering all sorts of questions and and, and and teaching us and people little kids big kids everybody they just love it uh, and you can you can spend ages in there and then outside we have a carousel and a virtual reality ride we have a conference center we have all sorts of live programming during the day we have own resident you
0: got lots of food resident
1: music artists lots of different types of food we have one of the biggest restaurants in America Mzara's Buffet. It is. It's one of the biggest restaurants in America. We have a zoo. We have live animal programs. We have a children's zoo. We have zip lines. You know, people say to me, why do you have zip lines there? Because Christians can have fun too.
0: Because it's fun. And
1: then at the Creation Museum, we have a planetarium (laughs) and a 4D theater. We have the most powerful pro-life exhibit in the world. We have a dinosaur exhibit, a whole walk through the Bible. We have beautiful gardens uh, and waterfalls and... Uh, we're actually building right now a conservatory with big glass greenhouses to raise the plants of the Bible, building an education center. And at Christmas, we have some of the best lights you'll see in the whole of America. Stunning That's lights true. at the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter. We have live programs, special concert programs. Uh, it is amazing. You, you may as well just come live here. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and you know what? We're within a one-day drive of two-thirds of America's population so demographically, yep. it's easy to get here. It's only the people who live over in, you know, the West Coast, Washington, you know, places like that. have a.
0: <laughs> it's a bit of a drive for a, me. That's true. You know,
1: we get a lot of people <laughs> from Texas coming here. Actually, they come from all over. Uh, on any one day, if you look in our parking lots, you'll see license plates from, it's not, not uncommon to find them from 30 or 40 different states. It's just amazing.
0: It's extraordinary. And it really does speak. Of the glory of the Lord in every square inch of that place. It's really wonderful. And you guys aren't done yet. I keep asking you if you've had your Napoleon moment oh, yet, no. but you haven't because you're still, you're still, what are you talking about? The Tower of uh, as Babel is next and uh, Jerusalem. Yeah, we,
1: we're building one of the, if not the largest, one of the largest indoor models of Jerusalem in the world. It's going to be housed at the Ark and Kenner. We've got that big building under construction right now. Uh, and uh yeah, all the different things we're adding in here. We're we're moving our offices into a new headquarters uh soon and we're gonna turn a lot of the office space into more education area. We have science labs. We do workshop programs for kids. You know there are parents even bringing the kids from California out here in the summer and uh they they do all sorts of lab programs.
0: Jack Hibbs' church just was out there again mm-hmm. and they've come several times. Oh, they times. brought hundreds and hundreds and,
1: it- and hundreds of people out here. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. It's worth seeing.
1: It's a way we're helping to infiltrate California.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, speed it up, would you? Yeah. <laughs> we, we need all the help. We need all the help we can get here on the West Coast. Ken Ham, you are a national treasure. Thank you for what you're doing on behalf of the of the Bible, starting in the Book of Genesis. I can't wait to see you guys again, and just uh, praying for you every day. I appreciate you being here.
1: Hey, thanks, Heidi. Anytime.
0: For more information on my guest today, go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast. I will link back to Divine Dilemma in the show notes today. This is a wonderful opportunity for you guys to learn to answer the question on death and suffering according to the Bible. Have a great day, everybody. I'll see you right back here again at the intersection of faith and culture.